The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. Jason Spees, thank you folks for joining us here. Let's get right to it and go over today's lineup. Bailey Midkiff with WIC gives an update from Doug D-U-G, Bakken and Rockies Conference. Comments about the upcoming election year. And he said there was two themes that came out of this year's conference. One, there's some concern about oil prices if President Trump is elected. And the second is that there's those companies that are just all in and emitting energy. I do want to ask him a little bit more about that President Trump comment, though. There's actually companies at a conference that are a little concerned about President Trump winning and oil prices. Hmm, that one caught my attention. Also, William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, joins us. He comments on their newest certification of Environmental and Social Management Plan, ESMP. It's one of those new acronyms you're going to see. The other one is ESG. That is an environmental social governance. We talk about that as well. And another buzzword, just to throw one more at you, equator principles. What it all means is William Prentice has a lot of social responsibility management on his CEO plate, and he tells us all about it, how the environment, the governance, and a social action plan all come together to create a new certification out there in the marketplace. Okay, Land Commissioner, North Dakota Land Commissioner Jody Smith answers several questions regarding a letter that was sent by the state agency who is looking to collect millions of dollars in unpaid natural gas royalties. Jody Smith joins us a little later in the program and Mike McMahon comments on EcoVapor's recovery systems, celebrating 10 years in business in emission management, and then we get into some flaring talk. And the reality out there in the marketplace and the political scape of things, whether we can actually collect those flares or not. And maybe we should be looking at maybe subsidizing the flaring industry because it is a solvable problem. For the sole reason, it is a solvable problem. All right, all that plus much more on today's episode of The Crude Life Week in Review. Of course, all the interviews that you hear right here at The Crude Life Week in Review, you can find at thecrudelife.com in their entirety. And of course, you can always check out our podcast, our daily podcast, which of course means Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday and the weekend. So if you'd like to check out our daily podcast, that is available at thecrudelife.com as well. But let's get into our first interview, Bailey Midkit with WIC, giving an update on the Doug Bakken and Rockies Conference. Bailey Midkiff, WIC. Excellent. Thank you for joining us here today. Finally, after a little bit of digital tag, we got caught up here because Whenever these events, you know, I'm a single dad and I, I raised my kid and he's got basketball games and he was sick throwing up and, you know, just all kind. Is, is there any more pity that you can put on me today? You know, I just I wasn't able to make the conference out in Denver. I wanted to go to uh, D.U.G. Doug this year, but uh, Bailey Midkiff went and he's kind of a 
expert out there in the Rocky Mountain region. He understands the industry, but he understands politics as well because he's born and bred from his dad, who's a county county commissioner, right, your dad is? That's correct. Yep, Nyberg County. Nyberg County. So you've got it in the blood and everything. But uh, talk to me about the conference. How was it? Uh, you, did you go for the full time or one day, two days? How many days you spend out there? I went for the full time. And uh, I tell you what, Jason, there was a lot of people that came out right away just for the, uh, the initial social hour. So they kind of had it broke down to where it was registration from 11 to pretty much 5 o'clock that full first day, you know, set up people meet each other get everything prepped mm-hmm. and then uh, they had a social hour from five to seven and actually uh there's a great group of individuals bradsby group and they uh do a lot of uh external you know third-party hiring for people and they did uh, a get together they called it an oil and gas industry happy hour which most people go with that automatic name right nothing too unique from three to five and that got a lot of people, too. I'm, it was really amazing to see actually how many people came out from out of state, surprisingly enough. Uh, when you go to these conferences, they're usually really busy and effective, but they're more local, right? I would say 300-mile radius to you know, lock down a territory of people that show up. That was they're the one thing. Sorry to interrupt, but that was the one thing I wanted to ask you, and I'm glad you brought that up, was that if – I wanted to get out to this one especially because um, when when you start hearing about things happening in different states and if you're doing business out there, most business owners and most entrepreneurs want a firsthand view. I mean, the whole reason I'm doing what I'm doing today is because I embedded myself out in the Bakken oil field. I didn't try to, to do what I'm doing um, not living and working day to day in, in the, in, you know, the Williston basin. No, I went out there and I slept in my vehicle and did everything else like that. So I would imagine that would have been the case this year where a lot of people wondering what the heck is going on in Colorado would probably have gone out there to see with their own eyes, if that makes sense. Was there, was there that people just seeing, okay, what is going on out here? There was. I, I, and I actually had lunch with two individuals that were they're really high up with the company, and I won't say the company name, but they're out of Oklahoma City. And surprisingly enough, they came because their company just bought assets in Laramie County, and they didn't know anything about it. I mean, and they were involved with the purchase aspect of this, but to the point that the Powder River Basin and everything you know closely related to that – is getting a lot of uh, eyes on it, and people are getting really active. I mean, apparently to the point that companies are seeing that the value of the low cost in return is there, and they're purchasing and then figuring out later. It was pretty interesting to have a conversation on giving them a little intel because they didn't really know. It was more of a shoot-by-the-hip purchase and, okay, let's go find out. Let's go down there and see it. <laughs> what was uh, some of the other comments, some of the other vibe coming out of uh, the Rockies, Doug, D-U-G, if you will? Um, what, what was some of the comments coming out of there in the vibe? I think it'd be broke down in two groups, how I felt. The first group, surprisingly enough, was not too uh, excited about Trump possibly being reelected because they felt they could get more traction in, in the oil and gas prices or anything else that affects the industry with somebody else, which I found really interesting for them to put them input on that and uh, how they see decline in their areas. But they're seeing a lot in the Powder River. And then the other half is it's going crazy. The Powder River is where it's at. You know, even these exhibitor conferences they had, how great it's coming. 
what's coming up, you know, in the Rockies. I mean, they really didn't touch that much on the Balkans, surprisingly enough. I mean, everything has been the face of uh, the Powder River Basin in the Rockies, uh, not including the Balkan. I mean, they're looking at the next best thing is how I perceived it. So there's there's a half that says it's going really slow except for the Powder River, and the other half is it's going great. We're not seeing any issues. You know, people are spending money, so it was kind of weird. I think it just depends on where you stand. Really. I, I need to make sure that I have my notes right here as I'm writing down um, as you're speaking. Um, two groups, and it, it actually was kind of three if you if you want to say the uh, Bakken list group. But yeah. um, <laughs> the two groups, uh, the first one, did you say people who do not want to see Trump elected? Surprisingly enough, a short quote from an individual was he feels that if Trump doesn't get elected and it's another one of these individuals that's on the docket with all their changes. And that was Bailey Midkiff with WIC. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Coming up next, William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group. My name is Jason Spies, and this is The Crude Life Week in Review. Should die or live, cause I'm gonna be The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group. Hi, this is Bill Prentice at Meridian Energy Group. Appreciate you joining the program here today. Before we get into the environmental and social management plan, could you give us an update on where things are with the development of the refineries, both in North Dakota, outside of Belfield, and then the one down in West Texas as well? Uh, sure, no problem. Um, Davis Refinery up in Belfield, uh, we're sort of tying up loose ends uh, as they get started on the the project financing raise. Uh, it's going to be a, a $1.1 billion financing for Davis, and we're just kind of getting started on that, uh, trying to get it closed and done before uh, before the beginning of summer so that we can get out in the field and get a lot done in the uh in the project site um but you know most of the modules will not be arriving and and foundations won't be completed till a year from this coming sunday so that's when most of the field activity will will happen is after this next coming winter um on walton station down in the permian of doing uh site surveys soil and geology work uh a lot of pre-permitting type design, uh, collecting the uh, crude assays for the uh, for the local crude supplies that we're going to be uh, counting on for our our crude oil. 
and then uh, you know go ahead and get the permitting started on that and try to have that plant in operation about a year after the Davis uh, facility gets started. So, uh, you know, looking at uh, maybe early 2023 for Davis, uh, later that year for Walton Station. But, uh, you know, part of that is weather down in, uh, in Texas might cooperate with us a little bit better and uh, we'll be able to hold to a tighter schedule down there. I got the press release the other day about Meridian's environmental social management plan. And when when did you guys decide to adapt that framework, if you will, to the equator principles, the risk management when it comes to uh, being out in the marketplace like that, this uh, environmental and social management plan? Why is that so significant to how you guys are going forward? Because you and I have been talking about this for three, four, five years, but to label it and to actually put it in a presentation like we're starting to see uh i mean you're on the cutting again you're you're on the forefront of this on the cutting edge again you know like i said we've been talking about this for three four years but why is it significant to kind of put it together in 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 a framework of of risk management and equator principles well you know i i mentioned we're we're just kind of getting started on the the real hard work of the davis project financing and as as we get uh, further into it, it's it's clear that all the stuff that we've done, you know, the substance of how we approach this business, uh, you know, as you mentioned, we've been talking about it for five years or so. But over the last five years, there's been an entirely new, let's just say, lexicon of, of buzzwords and other ways of thinking about and talking about environmental and social concerns and risk management. And it became clear to us that, uh, you know, as as pure as our heart is with regard to these things and always has been, uh, we need to be able to uh, uh, put this in within a structure and, and apply the kind of verbiage and documentation that allows everybody else to instantly recognize what we've been doing and why. And we're really kind of grateful for the way the industry has developed on this area because suddenly uh, we're going to get full credit out in the capital markets for everything that we've been doing for the past five years. Um, but, you know, part of this is uh, that many of the institutional investors that we're going to be dealing with have, uh, have signed on to the so-called equator principles, uh, which you can look up online. And that's one of the organizing groups that have helped uh, – kind of coalesce this whole way of thinking about new big energy projects. So it gives us a basis for organizing all of our documentation and proving that, uh, you know, this is in fact going to be a great project for the industry and the environment and our country. I was talking with um, Joseph Bendick, J.B. Bendick, um, from the Novitus organization the other day, and he brought up the uh, ESG is what he called it. That's the uh, Environmental Social Governance Plan, and and then I, I saw your guys' press release, and it was it was a different acronym. And then, you know, it, today here I'm calling it the you know Environmental and Social Management Plan, and it is. It's that new. It reminds me of when like the drones came out, to where it was UAS, and then it was UAVs, and then it, it was all these different names that they were trying to get for the industry. But the the, the point is still there that there is a there is a key 
framework to this. There are some core values. And, you know, like I was saying, five years ago, we're talking about working with county officials, planting trees that are, are correct to the, to the geography and looking at the different foliage and all kinds of different things. Um, what are the key facets when it, you really boil it down to the environmental and social management plan? How much of it was from what you guys had already discovered and have already done the due diligence on? And was there anything kind of new that was, was, was folded in? Because I agree with you. I think this is a good thing. And for companies like yours, it's really quite almost turnkey for what you're already doing. Yeah, we're, you know, again, we, we always try to make the point that this is not something that's new to us. Uh, the ESG acronym, uh, Environmental Social Governance, um, is kind of the broader concept. And, you know, the governance part of it is, is key because you can, you can espouse these uh, concepts and commitments to doing the things that are that are good as far as the environment and society are concerned. But unless you run your company in a way that's consistent with that, it doesn't do anything more than give you some good press release material. So what we've done is, uh, you know, adopt everything that we began doing for Davis back in 2014, and put that into a environmental and, and social management plan, which is now a key corporate governance document. Um, you know, it has the same weight and, and sense of purpose to it as our overall strategic plan does. Um, and, you know, the, the key facets of it are, um, you know, again, I, I mentioned the equator principles earlier. Um, there are, are 10 principles involved in that, in that organizing uh, set of documents. Uh, we went through this process uh, with our, both of our investment bankers here over the past three or four months and an exhaustive uh, review by them as to where we were on all 10 of those principles. And we're, we have been in compliance with them for years. Uh, you know, and that just runs a gamut of, you know, uh, how you think about a project, whether it's a major project or minor, and all of our projects are treated as major. Uh, we do our own in-house environmental and social assessment, which, in other words, you know, before we even applied for permits with Billings County, uh, we worked with, uh, you know, SEH and other firms, uh, Zia Engineering, to do a California-style environmental impact statement, including, uh, you know, Native American uh, cultural issues, uh, overall uh, societal issues. And we did all that before we applied for any permits. Uh, that material went into our Billings County uh, conditional use permit and rezoning application and also formed the basis for air quality permits and everything else we've done. Um, and so, you know, this is a key aspect of of what the equator principles are, are trying to point companies to. And that you're going to think about these things and you're going to run your company away in a way that's consistent with best practices in these areas and not just do what you have to do to get a permit and start turning the dirt over. Um, you know, other aspects of it are just, uh, you know, like uh, making sure that you have adequate stakeholder engagement, uh, which as you know, you know, our, our, transparency in the way we deal with the public at, 
at large uh, in North Dakota is, I think, second to none. Um, we've always been very open and, and engaged with everybody that has a stake in what we're doing. Uh, having a grievance mechanism is in place. You know, we we have that uh, both internally and in connection with all of our various permits. And that was William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Coming up next, North Dakota Land Commissioner Jody Smith. My name is Jason Spies, and this is The Crude Life We Can Review. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make energy great again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make energy great again. Visit keepenergygreat.com. That's keepenergygreat.com. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Speece on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Speece, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Speece. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, North Dakota Land Commissioner Jody Smith. Jody Smith, Land Commissioner for the Board of University and School Lands. Excellent. Thank you for joining us here today. Wanted to have you on to talk about a story that I saw in the Bismarck Tribune. Is uh, I believe they're the ones that uh, broke it originally, I guess, if that's the right way to say it. Uh, state agency, that would be the Land the Department of Land Trust, sorry, you're the land commissioner, but it'd be the Department of Land Trust, that they, there's some unpaid nat- natural gas royalties from companies operating in the oil patch in North Dakota, uh, following North Dakota Supreme Court ruling last summer. Uh, what was that ruling, and where are we at right now with these unpaid natural gas royalties? Well, the ruling came out from the Supreme Court, and it's commonly referred to as the Newfield case. And so the litigation was brought against the board in March of 2018, kind of made its way through the district court and then up to the Supreme Court. Uh, We argued our case in June of 19, and the court issued their ruling in July of 19. Uh, They then remanded the case down to district court for interpretation and kind of guide us on next steps. And so we've been waiting for the district court to kind of issue out uh, the interpretation of that ruling And so the board just felt like it was in the best interest of these operators who are accruing interest every month to issue out a notification 
just making them all aware of this ruling and giving them a formal kind of guideline um, or format in which they can come into compliance with the state. We deal with about 80 gas operators, and I think it's really important um, to note that this is only for gas. It has nothing to do with oil. And so of those payers, we have about 40 of them who are out of compliance with the state. They have been notified that they're out of compliance with the state just via a, an audit that we've probably done over the past five years. Uh, we sent this notification out to all 80 operators just so that they would all understand kind of the process that we're going through right now. And we have been contacted this week by at least 20 of those payers um, trying to get into compliance with the state within the, the first 90 days. Also in the story, there was a paragraph about some meetings behind closed doors and had to do with um, the board managed state-owned land and minerals for the benefit of public education. That was it. Uh, just the, is that normal behind closed doors? It's just the fact that it was in the story kind of stood out to me a little bit. And then the benefit of the public education, talk about that too. Yeah, uh, every we will go into executive session so that's the behind closed doors and typically we only do that when it is surrounding litigation we are very much aware by issuing this letter and by requesting that these 40 payers get into compliance with the state that there may be additional litigation brought against the board um, for multitudes of reasons our hope and our goal that would be that those payers would see this as like a good faith effort to allow them to come into compliance uh, historically, we've charged 12% penalty and an 18% interest. Um, my statutory authority only allows me to waive the penalty and to bring the interest down to prime plus 4%. And so that's kind of, if you look, go online and you look at our flow chart, that's really the first bucket. If you can get into compliance with us in the first 90 days, then, you know, we're actually bringing that down to that amount. We know some of those conversations that we were having, though, should be held private just pending current litigation. Um, we are in litigation with Continental, um, and that lawsuit does involve gas, but it also involves oil. And so um, anytime we're talking about litigation and matters that may be brought forth to the courts, uh, we tend to hold those in executive session. And as far as it relates to the trust that we manage, you know, we manage over a, a dozen trusts for the state. Uh, most of those are educational trusts, uh, and those are their permanent funds. These funds go into an endowment, essentially, or that trust. We invest them prudently, and then we use the earnings off of those to pay for K through 12 education and also for our university systems. So most people don't realize that we have a fund for NDSU. We have a fund for the Bismarck State College. So when we're collecting these royalty payments, those don't go, that doesn't go into my general operating expenses here. It actually goes into those trusts and helps pay for education throughout the state of North Dakota. And this past year, uh, just for K through 12 education, we are going to be paying for over 14% of the cost of education for every pupil um, who goes to public school in the state of North Dakota, which is the greatest percentage in the United States, honestly, because um, we have benefited so much from the oil and gas industry, and then we have such a lower student population than some of our other peer states um, who are wealthy in fossil fuels. So we're, we're very blessed in that. And so we consider our we really have a good partnership, honestly, with the with the oil and gas industry, and we we hope to continue that. Well, it's an ebb and flow, that's for sure. I mean, that's usually the way it works with government. Sometimes you're happy right. they're they're there, and sometimes you're you're not so happy. And right. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about Ron Ness. I was reading the story in charge of the North Dakota Petroleum Council. 
I don't know if you've talked to him or if that's just the the um, author of the story, Amy Sisk, who who reached out to him. And uh, the, re- the reason I ask is extremely high level of frustration was in was in quotes and and his quote was I would say they're absolutely disgusted and flabbergasted and extremely angry. So there's three things there. Um, Bismarck, small town. I know you both are in Bismarck. I don't know how often you guys, your paths cross or if he sent an email or anything along those lines. Have you been in talk with, with industry? Have you been in talk with, with Ron Ness? What, what is, what are they saying to you guys in terms of, uh, I guess looking for more than disgusted, flabbergasted and, and extremely angry and to see if they're, they're in conversations with you or if, I guess, what, what is the root of it? Um, well, I, I am aware that um, the Petroleum Council, to some level, or some of their members, did reach out to each of our board members and had conversations with them prior to the board providing me this guidance. I did have a meeting with Mr. Ness probably two or three weeks ago, just letting him know that this, I kind of had an idea, I didn't know the specifics of the flow chart, but I had an idea of what it was going to entail. And so I met with him and Mr. Pelton and just asked them to, you know, to kind of notify um, all of their members and all the payers that we work with and ask them to start getting their information ready. Because, uh, you know, when we did ask for them to come into compliance, it would be time sensitive. And so they were aware we were having these conversations. Um, either Mr. Pelton or Mr. Ness were in the boardrooms whenever they were allowed to be, whenever it was held in open session. Um, and then after each board meeting, you know, I usually stand with Mr. Pelton and have just a very brief conversation. Um, to whatever degree I can, typically when it's in executive session, I'm kind of bound by the confines of executive session and not able to share what's going on in there. Um, but the board did give me directive on a couple of occasions. Um, I am aware that uh, Mr. Ness actually contacted the Attorney General. The Attorney General also provided him guidance that this would be coming, kind of a minimum of what we would be looking at and to really start preparing those those payers. So um, of those those operators that have gotten in contact with the department, we have some who are um, expressing gratitude to us just because we were able to get into a position where we could waive the penalties and we could drop that interest rate down as low as we're legally able to do. And so I'm not sure where he's getting the disgusted and flabbergasted and shocked from um, because this has been going on since I think it was the end of October, perhaps it was November. We've had multiple board meetings. It's always on the agenda. This is a discussion item that's coming. Um, and we have been in discussions with our office that, you know, there would be a rubric or flow chart of some sort, you know, in an attempt to get these uh, payers into compliance with the state. So, Well, that's what I was wondering. I mean, if this has been over a year ago, my guess is that, you know, there there had been some things leading up to, to this. And right. um, was that Brady Pelton, by the way, that you named? Yes, sir. Oh, yes, sure. Sir. Okay. That's right. I forgot he was with the Petroleum Council. Yeah, he He's is. been there for a few years. Jeez, man. It's he been... has, yeah. I think he's been there since I've been here, and I've been in this role for two and a half years. Okay. So. Yeah. All right. I know he's, he's with the uh, oil and gas producing counties, I think, before that, or something along those lines. Some Something to do with uh, the, the local side of things. But uh, look at me. I digress here a little bit. That's and, okay. And... I tend to do that as well. Um, just asking, uh, I guess, one, one more question just off the top of my head. Um we do cover minerals from time to time, and I know some some states and some areas they they pay if the mineral has been flared, and some if there's not. 
is is there anything that uh, involves like the the mineral owners themselves, or is this just the um, oil and gas producers? Do you know what I mean by that question? How there's you know there's I think so because um, we we receive a lot of calls in our department from the private mineral owners, um, and this is specific just to state leases. Okay, it has nothing to do with the private mineral owner, um, and the reason for that is our lease and our lease. Um, some provisions with our lease, particularly this one, about paying royalties and being able to take deductions. And that was North Dakota Land Commissioner Jody Smith. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Coming up next, we talk with Mike McMahon with Eco Vapor Recovery Systems. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Crude Life We Can Review. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Make Energy Great Again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make Energy Great Again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make Energy Great Again. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to The Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, we talk with Mike McMahon with EcoVapor Recovery Systems. Yeah, Mike McMahon, EcoVapor Recovery Systems. Thank you very much for joining the program here today. Mike levels look good, so we're just going to go ahead and get started here. And we wanted to bring you on because you've been in emission management now for a while. Of course, flaring is the word that often gets used with emission management, but we're going to have a little bit of a serious talk about it. So I thought we'd use the professional word. And um, first of all, how are you doing today? And uh, go ahead and let us know a little bit about your company, if you wouldn't mind, uh, Mr. Mike McMahon. Yes, hi, uh, Jason, and, and uh, your listeners. Th- thanks for the opportunity to uh, uh, get on and talk a little bit about about EcoVapor. At EcoVapor, uh, our team is providing solutions to upstream oil and gas producers uh, to help them reach their uh, emissions uh, and uh, air regulatory goals, or solve uh, or air regulatory or emissions problems. And so we, uh, you know, we've been in business for ten years. In fact, we just celebrated our tenth anniversary. Uh, so we have, uh, over the years, developed a tremendous amount of expertise in the design and operation of a very effective and very reliable uh, tank battery vapor recovery systems. <clears throat> the tank battery on a typical upstream well pad accounts for at least two-thirds 
of the uh, air emissions profile for that site. And so we, uh, you know, we work with operators uh, to uh, provide solutions so that they can resolve their issues and, and achieve their goals. We have over 100 installations uh, in all major basins uh, in the U.S. And, uh, you know, we look forward to continuing to um, help operators, uh, you know, Im- improve uh, their, uh, their air emissions uh, uh, profile. Flarian's been in the news recently in terms of trying to reach, in fact, in North Dakota and the Bakken. Another month went by. Goals were not uh, met. And my contention is, is there are some solutions out there to really curtail things. And I, I know that the, the numbers aren't there all the time, but it sure seems like these science projects are becoming a lot more efficient and a lot more intuitive as well. Uh, talk to me about some of the the issues with flaring that that are going on, and how you guys are, you know, helping solve the problems out there with 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 what uh, you know the regulations and, and states and counties are trying to match. Sure. No. Thanks for the opportunity. <clears throat> you know, first of all, you know, uh, there's there are a lot of projects uh, going on in all basins, uh, you know, to improve you know pipeline and takeaway capacity so that the gas can be captured. You know, if, if there's no takeaway capacity, then the operator, you know, there are there is technology that can strip out uh, the NGLs and uh, and then you're only flaring methane, which is, uh, you know, a cleaner solution, but then, then flaring the entire vapor stream with the NGLs. But, uh, uh, you know, but first of all, where, the, where takeaway capacity exists, you know, we at EcoVapor help, the operators, you know, develop solutions which can eliminate flaring and uh, basically just make flaring an activity that takes place in emergency only. Um, you know, the uh, you know there are many operators that have taken fairly uh, aggressive uh, stances in uh, environmental leadership, where they have said, you know, uh, we we know we can still get some permitting for flaring, but we're going to uh, step beyond that. And we're going to demonstrate environmental leadership, and we're going to reduce and eliminate flaring. Uh, one example of that is Shell uh, in the Permian, and uh, we've worked on a project with Shell. There's a case study uh, on the EcoVapor.com uh, website, EcoVaporRS.com uh, website, that details our work with Shell, where uh, you know Shell decided to uh, you know that they would take an environmental leadership position, and you know reduce and eliminate flaring in the Permian. <clears throat> and uh, with the EcoVapor solution in place, uh, we have uh, helped Shell reduce their flaring by over 80% in the Permian over the last year and a half. So flaring, although still permitted in in most regions, uh, you know, still is, is a very visible uh, sign of, uh, you know, of, of waste. And so, uh, you know, we, we help operators eliminate that that flaring and, and capture that gas. <clears throat> Obviously, commodity prices right now for gas are, are not very good. However, the EcoVapor solution offers uh, you know many different avenues for uh, you know, for economic payback. Uh, not only is the vapor captured and sold, <clears throat> so there is incremental gas revenue, but also the the vapor that's generated in the tank battery is a very rich. Uh, stream, uh, you know, natural gas is around a thousand BTUs. Uh, the the vapor off the tanks is is typically two and a half times or even more that. And so there are some higher carbon components in that vapor stream that can be captured uh, and and sold. And so there are benefits, economic benefits in 
in incremental liquids production in addition to the incremental uh, gas sales. Uh, also, with the EcoVapor solution, the operator has the opportunity to run the pressures in their tank batteries very low. Uh, if those pressures are operated at higher levels, there's a risk for, for fugitive emissions where heat hatches or other relief devices on the tanks will open and raw vapor you know, will be emitted <clears throat> into the atmosphere. Uh, and so with the EcoVapor solution, the tank battery pressures can be run low uh, and that de-risks uh, fugitive emissions and also typically lowers maintenance costs on thief hatches and thief hatch gaskets. And that was Mike McMahon with Eco Vapor Recovery Systems. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. That's going to do it for today's episode of The Crude Life, a week in review. I'd like to thank Bailey Midkiff with WIC for coming on and giving us an update from the Doug Bakken and Rockies Conference. William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, North Dakota Land Commissioner Jody Smith, and Mike McMahon with Eco Vapor Recovery Systems. Here at The Crude Life, we'd like to thank you because we appreciate your time and your information. And those listening, we also appreciate your time for choosing us here at The Crude Life as part of your weekly content and perhaps our daily content if you're checking out our daily podcast, which is available at thecrudelife.com. But we do appreciate you very much checking out The Crude Life and having it part of your content selection because Ron Burgundy, the fictional character, has a podcast out there and so does my neighbor's cat. And Mario Lopez from Saved by the Bell has one too. So we understand there's some stiff competition out there. We thank you and we're very grateful that you've chosen The Crude Life as part of your energy consumption. And once again, for any of our interviews that you've heard past, present, exclusive interviews at thecrudelife.com. And if we can ask one more favor while you're at thecrudelife.com, click on the social media tab and we've got a list of our social media pages from Facebook to YouTube to Twitter to even LinkedIn. We'd appreciate it very much if you would join our ever-growing army of energy enthusiasts through the Facebooks and the YouTubes and the Twitters. That is thecrudelife.com. Click on the social media tab. From the staff here at The Crude Life, a week in review, my name is Jason Spies asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Make Energy Great Again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make Energy Great Again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make Energy Great Again. Visit KeepEnergyGreat.com. That's KeepEnergyGreat.com. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. 
the Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 